0: Would you open in your Bibles with me to Proverbs 27, 1? Proverbs is right in the middle of your Bible. Proverbs 27, 1. Starting at, we're only going to read verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that your word is true. And that it leads and guides us. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. And a light to our path. Pray, God, that you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. And all the people said, amen. Amen. Julius Caesar was the greatest of the Roman emperors. He was a distinguished statesman and a distinguished general. He was extremely popular and extremely powerful. One day as Julius Caesar was walking to the Roman Senate to carry out the business of the empire, he didn't know that the men he was walking with, men that he thought were his friends, that his colleagues had plotted to kill him that very day. As Julius Caesar innocently walked with his conspirators, a man came up to him with a sealed piece of paper. Now this man had discovered that there was a conspiracy to kill him. So he wrote down on a piece of paper everything that was going to happen to him in order to warn him. The man came up to Julius Caesar and said, hail Caesar, please hear the suit that I present you today, because it is a case that touches the heart of Caesar closely. The man didn't want to say too much in front of his conspirators. Julius Caesar took the suit and said, I will look on it later. But later never came. Because Julius Caesar didn't read the warning right then and there, Roman history was dramatically changed forever. As the session began that day, every conspirator took his dagger and plunged it into the body of Julius Caesar, and he sunk to the ground and died. Julius Caesar waited. The famous evangelist, Billy Graham, was conducting an evangelistic crusade in Seattle, Washington, in 1962. And after a long, hard day, Billy Graham went to bed. But in the middle of the night, he woke up with what he later described as a heavy burden to pray for Marilyn Monroe, the movie actress. When the burden continued the next day for her salvation, he tried to reach her through one of her agents. But the agent said she was too busy. Not now, he said. Maybe in two weeks from now. But two weeks never came. Because two weeks later, she was found dead in her room from an overdose of sleeping pills. With a suicide note by her side saying, I'm alone. Terribly alone. Marilyn Monroe waited. One day, Charles Finney was preaching in New England when two of his friends came to hear the message. Now, these two friends weren't Christians, but they did attend church occasionally. And after the sermon was over, one of the friends asked the other friend, what did you think about the message that Mr. Charles, Mr. Finney preached? He said, oh, he made a lot of good points, but I'm still not convinced, the man said. The other man said, tonight, for the first time, I truly considered becoming a Christian and giving my life to Christ. Well, said the other man, we'll come back tomorrow and hear more. And the other guy said, yes, let's come back tomorrow. Well, you can imagine the surprise of the man who hardened his heart when he heard the news that his friend who had considered giving his life to Christ Suffered a fatal accident on the way home and died. The last thing he remembered about his friend was that he had truly considered giving his life to Christ and becoming a Christian, and that tomorrow he wanted to hear more. A Roman emperor, a famous actress, a New England businessman, they waited, they procrastinated, they boasted themselves about tomorrow. And they were dead. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Don't say, I'll do it tomorrow. Because you don't know what will happen tomorrow. You know, I think Satan's favorite word is the word tomorrow. It comes from the Latin word. Oh, I'm sorry. Procrastinate. Getting ahead of myself. Procrastinate comes from the Latin word procrastinatus, which means pro, to put forward, to, to go toward. And crast, crastinus means tomorrow, literally means to put off until tomorrow. In English, we have the slang word later on. Oh, let's wait. Let's postpone it. Let's put it off. Delay. Hesitate. We even have a word for it in Spanish. Manana. I'll do it manana. Take care of it manana. This morning I want to preach on the subject of procrastination. And how it affects our lives. It's a very basic three-point sermon. Procrastination robs us of serving God. Procrastination robs us of getting right with God. And procrastination robs us of becoming a child of God. Our very first point is, it robs you of serving God. Turn to Luke Luke 9, verse 59. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke 9, 59. You can use your Bible a little bit this morning. Luke 9, 59. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord... Let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury the dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another one said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is teaching on the cost of discipleship. Now, is Jesus teaching that you shouldn't go and bury your family? No. Is Jesus teaching that you shouldn't go and say goodbye to your family members at home? No. Jesus is teaching that when the call of God comes on your life, that you can think of many excuses, many reasons not to respond at that moment. And when you make these excuses, they Keep you from serving God. They rob you of serving God. Turn to Matthew chapter 26, verse 38. Matthew 26, 36. No. Matthew 26, 38. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew 26, 38. And he's in the garden with his disciples. And then he takes three of them, Peter, James, and John. And he says in verse 38. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. So he asked them to stay there and watch and, and, and pray. And then he goes a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And when he came back, he saw the the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Can you say amen? Amen. So what Jesus says, okay, now, guys, watch and pray with me. I'm going to go pray. I'm coming back. So then he... Verse 42, and a second time he went away and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. All three of these disciples, Peter, James, and John, they saw the transfiguration in Matthew 17. They were with him. All three of these disciples went on to write books of the Bible. All three of these disciples were great witnesses and examples for the Lord. Two of them went on, to be, went on to die and became martyrs. Do you remember who they were? Peter and James. Yet, they could never go back to that moment in Matthew 26 when they had the opportunity to serve the Lord by watching and praying with Him while His soul was exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. And that opportunity never came again. They lost the opportunity to serve the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane. How many of us have had opportunities to serve the Lord but because of procrastination that opportunity was lost and gone? Maybe you sensed a need to send somebody a note and a word of encouragement. Sister Shelley sent me this Card 10 years ago this month and it's a word of encouragement to me and you don't think these things mean anything they mean a lot that word that encouragement that comes from somebody that says I care I'm praying for you you know 10 years ago means a lot to people you might not think it means much and sometimes, it, you know, you just realize that somebody is praying for you. That's a ministry right there. A word of encouragement. Have you ever felt that sense, that need to send somebody a card, a note of encouragement? What a blessing that is. Or maybe you sense the need to call somebody. Maybe you haven't seen somebody in church three, four weeks, and you're wondering where they're at. Where are they going? What? You sense that need to call them, but you procrastinated and you put it off. You never called them, and they never came back. (laughs) That phone call can mean a lot. It meant a lot to me when Keaton Dudley called me. Said, "How are you doing?" I was I was surprised. I was shocked, stunned, and amazed. Hi, how you doing? meant a lot. A simple phone call. A note of encouragement. Have you ever sensed the need to do that? God puts that on your heart and and then you just blow it off. Maybe you sense a need to help, and help in the church. Help do Sunday school, nursery. Maybe you sense a need to help greet. I, I can greet. I can help do that. Maybe you need to help fold the bulletins. Or to help out in... in, in in the social hall with, with the meals. That's a lot of work. That is a lot of work back there. And I appreciate all the work the ladies do to help. So have you ever sensed that need maybe to go visit somebody? Sensed that need to maybe just go and just pray with them? Have you ever sensed the need to give a Bible study maybe on Saturday for the men's group? Say, hey, Mario, I got something on my heart I want to share. Do you mind? And he said, oh, "No, no. Let me talk to me. Let me know. How can you help? Maybe you sense the need to do a Bible study on Wednesday night. Don't procrastinate. Procrastination robs us of serving God. It robs you of the opportunity to serve God. Maybe you can help out in other ways. Maybe you can." You sense the need to give to missionaries. Maybe you sense the need to do something in this church. We are robbed of the opportunity of serving God and ministering to one another when we procrastinate. Every believer in this church has a gift, and God wants you to exercise that gift. Your function isn't just to sit here and be a spectator, a consumer. Just take it all in. No, God wants you to serve him, and we, we need to serve one another. Right in, in, your, in, your, in your little handout right there under in the Garden of Gethsemane, write Romans twelve six. And as you're writing that, I'm going to read it to you. Romans 12, 6 says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. I like that. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let us use them. Write down Ephesians eleven four, verse 11. And he gave some to be apostles and prophets, prophets and teachers and evangelists for the building up of the work for the edification of the body of Christ. God wants us to build up the body of Christ. You're not just to go to church and sit there. You are to serve. That's maturing. That's growing. And I'm going to read, write down 1 Peter 4.10 and then turn to it. 1 Peter 4.10. Toward the end of your Bible. Right before 2 Peter. 1 Peter 4.10. And if you don't have this underlined, you can underline it. And it says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Another version says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Use your gift. Don't procrastinate. You have a gift. Everyone has a gift. Use your gift. It builds up the body of Christ and it builds up you. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. That's powerful. We're not here to be served, we are here to serve. And to give our lives a ransom. There's a psalm I really like. Would you listen to it? It says, Now it came to pass that spring turned to summer again. God's people raised their voices and said, Recreation is my shepherd. I shall not stay at home. He maketh me to lie down in a sleeping bag. He leadeth me down the interstate each weekend. He restoreth my suntan. He leads me to state parks for comfort's sake. And even though I stray on the Lord's day, I will fear no reprimand, for thou art with me. My rod and my reel, they comfort me. Yeah. I anointest my skin with oil. My gas tank runneth dry. Surely my trailer shall follow me all the weekends of summer. And I shall return to the house of the Lord this fall. But then it's hunting season. And that's another psalm. Procrastinating. That, that, that. Psalm is about a person who's just procrastinating. I'm going to return to the house of the Lord. But well, oh, wait a minute. It's hunting sunny season. I'm going to return to that. Oh, no, no, no. It's skiing season. Oh, I'm going to come to church. Oh, no, 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 no. It's raining. It's raining. I can't come to church. You know, we have a gift. Use it. God has put you in this church. And yes, we're not a big church. But if you have a gift, you are here for a reason to serve. Use your gift. Don't procrastinate. You have a gift. And if you're not sure what it is, come see me. (laughs) We'll pray about that. But procrastination robs you of serving God. And I remember in school, I learned that 15% of the people do 85% of the work. That's not a good statistic. It should be 100% of the people doing 100% of the work. So that's our first point. Procrastination robs you of serving God. Secondly, procrastination robs you of getting right with God. Turn to Jonah in the Old Testament. Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. If you don't have, don't have it, just listen. <clears throat> now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Jonah is a prophet. What's the prophet's job? His job is to preach, to warn people of judgment to come, And to call them to repentance. What's repentance? Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of life. And God commissioned Jonah to go and do three things. One, go to Nineveh. Two, cry out against that city. And three, preach a message of judgment because of their wickedness. Three things. Not complicated. Go, cry, preach. Pretty simple. What did Jonah do? Verse 3. Pretty simple. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah flees in the opposite direction. He doesn't obey God. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the ship. He goes down into the sea and then he goes down into the to the fish. Sin takes you down. You know the story. Jonah gets thrown into the sea. And then God prepares a fish to come and swallow Jonah up. And Jonah is in the belly of that fish. Do you remember how many days? Three days and three nights. Thank you, Ken. And he's in that fish for three days and three nights. And then he prays. Jonah prays. And then the first automatic ejection system. The fish vomits. Jonah back up, and Jonah comes out the fish, walks onto the shore, and then he goes and does what God told him to do. He goes to Nineveh, takes him three days to walk there, and he walks to Nineveh, and he preaches the quickest sermon I've ever heard. Seven words. He says, Forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. Forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And guess what? The people believe, and they repent. Look at Jonah 3.10. The people believe and repent. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Wow, that's a great ending, right? Wrong, wrong. Wrong. Look at chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became what? Angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. One who relents from doing harm. I like what the NASB says. It says, therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled. In order to prevent this. In order to delay this. In order to hinder this. Jonah procrastinated. He willfully delayed doing something that he should do. He procrastinated. My question is, do we, as God's people, delay getting right with God? I think yes. How does he respond? Look at verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. Angry. Is Jonah happy and praising God that Nineveh repented? No, he's angry. And this is the this is not just like, you know, you stepped on my shoe kind of angry. You know, you ever got new shoes and somebody steps on them? Oh, man. That's, that's a little angry. No, this was exceedingly angry. This is the same word that's used in Genesis 4 when Cain got angry at uh, Abel and murdered him. The same exact word. Now, is that anger sin? Definitely. Yes. That is why Jonah fled to Tarshish to prevent, to delay God's mercy. What was the reason? He didn't want to give God the opportunity to relent from judging and destroying Nineveh. He wanted that. That is why he escaped to Tarshish. Basically, Jonah says, I knew this was going to happen. I knew it. That's why I fled the other way. I didn't want you to to forgive them. I didn't want you to do this. I know that you are a compassionate and merciful God in verse 2. I know it. That's why I fled. I procrastinated. Jonah has anger. And look at verse 3. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Oh, man. That's how angry he is. He wants to die. Look at verse 8. And it happened. No, keep going down a bit. Then he wished death for himself and said, at the end of verse 8, it is better for me to die than to live. Verse 9, then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he says, it is right for me to be angry even to death. Have you ever been that angry? I mean, I've been angry where, you know, you want to choke somebody, but... (laughs) I've never been that angry where I want to kill, where I want to die. That is angry. That is mad. That's more than anger. That's rage. There's five different levels of anger. And the fifth one is rage. That's what Jonah had. He had rage. He was seething, boiling, mad to the point of death. He procrastinated in his anger. Jonah had a bad anger issue. And on top of that, he had a bad attitude. Look at verse 4. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out to the, of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as the morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He burned with anger that these people got saved. And then he was apathetic. Because we read that this whole city repented. There was 120,000 plus people that repented. And all he cared about was that little plant. This plant. 120,000 plus people got saved from hell and are going to heaven Jonah gets angry and not only does he show his anger, but he shows his apathetic attitude. You know, if one person were here today and got saved, I would be praising it. God, I would be excited. I would say, praise God. Can you imagine all the prophets? 120,000 people get saved. They'd be praising God, not Jonah. Jonah is apathetic and he's angry. And because of that, he's procrastinating, getting right with God. He's procrastinating. That's more than the people of Redwood City and San Carlos put together. That's a lot of people getting saved. And he is apathetic. All he cared about is this plant. Where are his priorities? He's a a preacher. Even more than that, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. God speaks directly to him. That's what a prophet is. God speaks to them. To the messenger and the messenger speaks to God. A priest is the people speak to the to the messenger and the messenger speaks to God. Jonah had a bad attitude and he had anger. Jonah needed to get right with God. He was not yielding to God's will. Jonah procrastinated to get right with God. In Jonah 1.1 it says now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai. Is the word of the Lord coming to you today? Is the Word of God speaking to you? Saying something to you? Is God telling you to stop playing with sin? Stop procrastinating and repent of that bad attitude? Repent of that apathy? Maybe, is there somebody you're angry with here in church or at home or at work? And you're procrastinating, you're delaying, you're putting it off, getting right? You know what's funny? I and mean, it's not funny, but you know what's interesting about Jonah is that it ends with a question. It never says that Jonah repented. Look at verse 12: 11, at the very last verse, or well, let's start at verse 10, but the Lord said, "You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night, and should I not pity Nineveh? That great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. It ends with a question. It doesn't say, does it, that Jonah repented. And we know at least three days had passed. He procrastinated. He procrastinated getting right with God. Don't procrastinate. If there's somebody you're angry with, get right. If there's somebody that you have apathy or something you have apathy toward, repent of that. Repent. Because procrastination robs you of opportunities of serving God and it robs you of getting right with God. That's an that's a important point right there. Lastly, Procrastination robs you of becoming a child of God. Turn to Acts 24, 24. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts 24, 24. Acts 24, 24. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, Porcius Festus succeeded Felix. And Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul abound. Felix and Drusilla illustrate how procrastination can affect your life. Let me give you a little background about Felix. Felix was the Roman governor of Judea. His full name was Antonius Felix. And according to the historian Tacticus, he reveled in corruption, cruelty, and lust. Tacticus said he wielded the power of a king with the mind of a slave. That's a dangerous combination. And on top of that, Felix married three queens. Sitting next to Governor Felix was his wife, Drusilla. That's his third wife. She came from a very hostile family. Drusilla was one of three daughters of of Herod Agrippa I. And Felix convinced her to leave her former husband and marry him. That was scandalous. And to show you how violent her family background was, her father, Herod Agrippa I, murdered James with the sword and then tried to kill Peter in Acts 12. Her great-uncle, Herod Antipas, beheaded John the Baptist. And her great-grandfather, King Herod, murdered all the babies two years and under, all the male babies two years and under, in Bethlehem, and tried to kill Jesus. Very violent family, I would say. <laughs> that rap sheet. Ugh. So when Paul stood before Governor Felix and his wife, Drusilla, on these trumped-up charges of sedition. Paul didn't defend himself. No, he preached the gospel to Felix. He started talking about Jesus. And in verse 25, it's a great three-point message. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Three-point message. This is a good message because Felix was not righteous. He was corrupt politician. And we see in verse 26, he said he hoped that money would be given him. That's a corrupt politician. And he, we read that he was an adulterer. He's a reveler. He's not righteous. No. And Felix and Drusilla thought that Paul was going to come and explain the differences between Christianity and Judaism. And instead, he starts preaching this three-point sermon on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And he starts preaching on the first point, righteousness. Righteousness. And they begin to feel a little uncomfortable. Uh-oh, righteousness. You know, I'm, I'm a corrupt politician. I'm, I'm feeling uncomfortable. Then Paul gets to a second point. Self-control. Now they're starting to squirm in their seats. Uh-oh, because neither of them exhibited self-control. You know, this is their second, third marriage. You know, this is not self-control. <laughs> they're like, oh, no. this is. <sighs> and then he gets to his third point judgment to come. Now they're under the table. They're like, "Oh, Lord, oh man, oh man, because God is the righteous judge. God is the righteous judge. And and now th- they're like, "Oh no. This is the last thing they want to hear." And you know this was a good sermon. You know this was a good sermon. You say, "How? How do you know?" Look at verse 25. Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. Felix was afraid. The NSB says he was frightened. The NIV says afraid. The King King James says trembled. This was a good message. He was trembling. When was the last time you trembled and you were afraid after hearing a message? God had spoken through Paul's message. He used that messenger, Paul, to speak about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. And when he had finished, Felix trembled. He was terrified. God had spoken to his heart, and he was shaking in his sandals. Hmm. But unfortunately, Felix procrastinated. Verse 25 says, go away for now, and when I have a more convenient time, I will call for you. A more convenient time. In other words, let's put this off. Let's hesitate. Let's wait. Let's delay. Let's do this later when I have more time. Or in Spanish, mañana. I will call for you. This is dangerous. Let me tell you why it's dangerous. Because procrastination gives us the impression that you are in control. It does not take into account the uncertainty of life. Tomorrow is not guaranteed, brothers and sisters. To say I'll do it tomorrow is to assume that tomorrow is in your hands. And it's not. Proverbs 27, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. And let me ask you a question. What is your life? James 4.14 says, your life is a vapor, a mist, I can't help but think about those children. Six years old. Your life is not guaranteed. It's a mist. And to assume that you have tomorrow is foolish. It is not guaranteed. Procrastination robs you of salvation. And even though you may get tomorrow, you may get tomorrow, you may not be trembling. You may not hear His voice tomorrow. You may not be convicted. There was a defining moment when God spoke to Felix. And he procrastinated. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. Why do you say it's dangerous, Danny? He heard heard it later. Look at verse 27. But right before verse 27 and verse 26. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, two years went by. And what's tragic about this is that we never, ever read again. Never do we read again that Felix was convicted, that Felix was afraid. He never was afraid again. That's the danger, because when God speaks to you, you need to respond at that moment. That moment. Don't put it off. That's what procrastination does. It's dangerous because you put it off. You delay. And when God is speaking to you, you need to respond. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to serve God. Today is the day to get right and to become right with God. Today. That's what the Bible says. Don't delay. Don't procrastinate. Don't wait. Don't put it off for a more convenient time. You need to respond at the moment that God is speaking. God has promised forgiveness. Yes. But God has not promised tomorrow. Did you hear that? The Bible says in Isaiah 55:6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek the Lord. If you are not a Christian today, you are dead in trespasses and sin. Right now. You are with a, without hope. Right now. You are in danger of the wrath to come. Right now. And now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians 6.2. Now. If man needed knowledge, God would have sent a scientist. If man needed pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. If man needed medicine, God would have sent a doctor. But man needed salvation. And God sent his son, a savior. He died for us on the cross to deliver us from our sins. That's why we come this morning, even in the rain, because we are grateful and thankful for what He did for us. Procrastination robs you of serving God. Procrastination robs you of getting right with God. And thirdly, procrastination robs you of becoming a child of God. In Conclusion. There's a story about a monk who had a dream. And you probably heard this before. I've heard it here. And in this dream. The monk dreamed. That all the demons of hell were being gathered together at a big convention. And Satan was in charge. Now Satan had called that meeting to determine how to defeat the work of God. So he called all the demons and he said, go out and defeat the work of God and come back next week and report. So all the demons went out and returned one week later. And one demon got up and said, Master, I saw a missionary boat going to a foreign land to preach the gospel. And I sent a big wind and broke the sail and a whale to cave in the side of the boat And I sunk it. And Satan said, you have done nothing, for they will send more missionaries. Then another demon got up. Master, I've done real good, Master. I've inspired liberal theologians to print books and to preach sermons, denying that Jesus is God. Denying that you need the substitutionary death of Christ. Denying that God even exists. Haven't I done well, Master? And Satan says, you have done nothing for God will raise up his own people to counteract our work. And one by one, they all got up and Satan told them, and you've done nothing. It wasn't any good. And then finally, one clever little demon got up. And he said, master, I went to churches, master. And I sat right next to people. As the pastor was preaching, I sat right next to them and whispered in their ear. You know, the pastor is right. The Bible is true. You really do need to repent. You really do need to get right with God. You really do need to witness. You really do need to start serving the Lord. You really won't be happy until you do. But just wait a few more days. And then Satan exclaimed, you, you have done more to stop the work of God by getting those Christians to wait. Then all of these demons combined. And then the monk woke up. I'm calling you. Wake up. Don't harden your heart. Let us bow our heads in prayer. (sighs) Thank you, God, for your word. And I thank you that you choose simple, ordinary, common people to do your work. All we have to do is look at the 12 disciples, a tax collector, a fisherman, a zealot. God. I pray that you would help us to turn our lives completely over to you and to serve you. And I pray people would not put off serving you. I pray people would not put off getting right with you. And I pray people would not put off becoming a child of God. Help us to live and to serve you, Lord, with all our heart, soul, and mind and strength, as we heard last week. And all the people said, Amen.